Nolan does this very clever experiment, but he does this very clever scene construction around silence and sound coupled together. It's and some extremely awful haunting visuals, which are, essentially represent the aftermath of the bombs that were dropped on Japan. Hello and welcome to this month's Film Club. My name is Oliver Webb Carter and I'm the editor and your host. And today it's Oppenheimer, this year's major blockbuster directed by Christopher Nolan and starring Killian Murphy. Tim Hewitt, acclaimed director, joins me for the most talked about movie of the year so far. And I'm aware of Barbie's existence. Robert Oppenheimer, the tortured genius and father of the atom bomb that changed the world, was indeed a historic figure. And even today we live under the threat of nuclear annihilation. As a child growing up in the 80s, this isn't new to me, but the ongoing conflict in Ukraine has reminded us all of the ultimate disaster should certain megalomaniacs go down that path. We've not mentioned any spoilers in the film, so you can listen if you haven't seen it yet. But that's enough fun and games. Coming up in next month's film club, it's Gallipoli. But until then, I'll hand you over to our chat on Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Tim Hewitt, welcome back to our latest film club. And this is Oppenheimer. Welcome, Tim. Thank you very much. Very excited. Yeah. So listeners, Tim and I, we went to see Oppenheimer on Monday. Today's Wednesday. I'm going to get this out for Thursday morning, this podcast. So it's hot off the press. We've only seen it once. Mm. And yeah, unlike all the other films that we've covered, we've seen a number of times. We're going off one viewing. And uh, Tim's just mentioned this is the second Nolan film in the film club. So we might have to leave Nolan alone for a while. Although I think of his yeah. other films, I don't think any of the others really are historical. No, I'm trying to think actually. Maybe uh, the prestige, but it's all made up. So we don't yeah, really. Yeah, it's all. I Tesla's think it's, in the, it. These are, yeah, yeah. I think these are his only two actually based on historical fact. I'm trying to, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so um, no, and unlikely we'll be doing Interstellar on this podcast. So for Nolan fans, this will be it for a while. And spoiler, we should talk about spoilers. Uh, I think if you didn't know that there were, uh, were nuclear bombs and uh, the two bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, then you're probably not a listener of this podcast. So I think <laughs> on I the doubt whole... It. I'm not sure you can really qualify spoilers in this. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's anything in the film that you would that a, a viewer that hasn't seen it would think i can't believe they mentioned that maybe I, well we maybe won't go into too much detail in the result of any kind of investigation that took place and that might sound like a vague comment to listeners it will become more apparent in our conversation but maybe we won't give the actual result of that but that's about the yeah. most the biggest maybe, spoiler yeah. i can think of i would say that when you mentioned that we've only seen it once i think we can be forgiven for this, this yes one. This, it is the newest film on the podcast and well, the most, I mean, it's it obviously has only been in the cinema for four days, five days, I guess now. So uh, I think that's forgivable. And I, uh, I should also highlight, I've, I've, I'm basing some of my historical knowledge off of a very good book that's just come out a month, month or so ago called Oppenheimer, A World Destroyed. And that's written by David Boyle. Uh, and it's I would recommend it to listeners if they want to dig in a little bit more, having watched a film or um, if they want to read it before the film, 
It's only 128 pages. You can get it on paperback or Kindle. It's just that's a shorter read. than the script of the film. I think so. Uh, which I believe was like something like 180 pages. So uh, easy which read. is different to Dunkirk, <laughs> uh, the last mm. Nolan film we discussed, which didn't even 75, make I think. Yeah, I mean it's mainly visual, so it's there's very little dialogue. Warning to listeners: there is a lot of dialogue in Oppenheimer. Yeah, and you have to concentrate. But... That's the other thing mm. I'd say, and I think mm. that's a good thing. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I. I, I would preface the whole the whole episode, this whole episode with with it's just it's excellent news for cinema, for for theatrical releases. This is I mean, it's been all over the press. Uh, the fact that this film, uh, along with Barbie have, being released on the same day, it, they've really inc- put cinema going back on the map post covid which i think is great and and anyone who's been following it obviously will be aware of the fact that these aren't superhero films they aren't sequels i think the appetite is back for an event film that's a one off uh, and it's great that oppenheimer is a real it's a thinker it's a blockbuster but it's a thinker and it's great that you know our, our, the one the cinema we went Ollie and i went to the Odeon lux leicester square we saw the 70 millimeter presentation and it was packed i I mean it was sold out i think um it was yeah and and that's a monday night you know this is like the old days you know when yeah yeah, it was a monday night that's a good point yeah it's like when when uh, a friend of mine reminded me recently that he went to see when he was a child he went to see terminator 2 when it first came out and that was the that was the event it was there was one off you know it was one blockbuster every what seven eight months now of course they churn them out like candy but it's it was great that this is this is kind of going back to like the old old days of oh there's a new film coming out in the cinema <laughs> well yeah, yeah I, I, the last film i saw in the cinema was indiana jones just a, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago and the difference between the in the attendance between the two right myself mm. and my um companion uh, were the only two people in the cinema now you you mm. mentioned the cast, and I'll just rattle off some names because I I actually couldn't believe the the, the number names that just kept on coming. So obviously, Killian Murphy plays Robert Oppenheimer. Uh, Emily Blunt plays his wife Kitty Oppenheimer, and then you got Matt Damon as Leslie Groves, who's Leslie Groves was the military commander of Los Alamos, where all the scientists worked, and he oversaw the entire program along with Oppenheimer. Robert Downey Jr., who plays Louis Straws, that's how it's pronounced. And Straws was basically became Oppenheimer's nemesis after the after the the bombs were dropped. And then you got Florence Pugh plays Gene Tatlock, who's a sort of um, his first love. I think it's probably fair to say. Josh Hartnett. Josh Hartnett was unrecognisable for a moment for, to me. Yeah, he normally he's sort of this young, uh, sort of um, running through jungles and stuff isn't he no and no, i'm mixing him up with um mix him up with brendan fraser yeah no he he's not george he's... of the jungle is he no he's no he's not <laughs> that is brendan fraser well he's popped up in lots of things apparently he was considered for batman as well but no, it didn't obviously happen yeah, yeah he's good he's very good in this casey affleck who is plays this he is so good in this really chilling <laughs> role Remy Malek, Kenneth Branagh, Benny Safdie, who's very good, plays Edward Teller, the creator of the H-bomb. Jason Clarke, Tom Conti plays Einstein, James Darcy, who was in Dunkirk, and Gary Oldman, 
Matthew Modine. Florence Pugh, did you mention Florence Pugh? Florence Pugh. Uh, uh, who played Stimson, Henry Stimson? James Ramar. Uh, James, James Ramar, Ramar, yes. Yeah, great, great. Uh, you, you, uh, He's very good in he was, 48 Hours. Yes, he was the evil, evil bad guy in 48 Hours. And it's so nice to see him. And he, he also pops up in uh, Django Unchained, actually in two parts in Django Unchained. It's sort of a character role. Sex but in the in city. This, it was, yeah, it was so good to see him in a role like this, which is government, a high government. He, yeah, uh, Henry official. Simpson, Secretary of State for mm. War. So, so the, the cast is just ex- extraordinary, really. Mm. And, and, mm. and a lot of these parts are quite small because there's no doubt about it. Killian Murphy dominates from beginning to end. It's a Nolan film, so it, it's he plays around with time, as usual. Um, mm. So it's not linear, but it works very well. You just have to concentrate. I didn't really know what to expect with Oppenheimer. I mean, I knew it was a bio a biofilm, but the fact that they kept, you know, they were the the critics and people who I know had seen it were going on about, you know, it's just spectacular in its visuals, and and I was thinking, well, well, apparently it's a lot of people talking in a room. So what's what's with the visual? So when we when we went, I was it's an assault on the senses a lot of the time. It really um, is, yeah, absolutely. That that uh, that's that's is... what I I think that's what keeps the film ticking along because it is three mm. hours and you mentioned this i think almost immediately on um when you messaged me after you left to catch your train very quickly uh, the yes. uh, it's three hours so i don't think we got out of the cinema till 11 p.m but the but the uh, sound design which keeps the film going throughout uh, to, uh, it, you, to me you are it was, on edge almost because of this absolutely design. yeah and, and the thing is is that it comes at moments that are so unexpected you know, there's it's like a very quiet moment in a room and suddenly it's like a planet has exploded in an instant. And you and you and you sh- I mean, our seats shook. Because yeah, and I don't the, know. Was the, that because the seat is meant to shake? Because it's yeah, I mean, it, because it, or yeah, is it no, the sound just, <laughs> vibrating? It's the sound. It's the it's the design. I think the speakers in in these cinemas like these. I mean, this there's a huge cinema, obviously, and the speakers are enormous. So I think it's a it's an added effect so that you really I mean, you it's like you're in the film sometimes. To me, I thought Killian Murphy was outstanding. I thought Downey Jr. was outstanding. I thought, well, I th- to be honest, everyone in their little roles were brilliant. I just think the true star of the film was the sound design. It was phenomenal, uh, coupled with some very haunting visuals. I mean, it tiptoed on certain occasions over, like, horror tropes. There were moments that you, th- you know, if you isolated them, you'd be like, that's that could have been out of... I don't know, the, uh, 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 a terrifying horror film. Yeah, in the like, immediate reaction, uh, yeah. the immediate reaction of the once they know the bombs are successful. Yes, there's a there's a very haunting sequence where he where Oppenheimer uh, is invited and talks at a lecture where everyone's applauding him, but he psychologically he becomes you can see the guilt just completely written all over his face, and that in during that sequence nolan does this very clever experiment but he does this very clever scene construction around silence and sound coupled together it's re- and and some extremely awful haunting visuals which are, essentially represent the aftermath of the bombs that were dropped on japan and i just thought it was brilliant it, funnily enough actually it's the sort of film that you would think if you described it to anyone in terms of its content, that it would, that it should be boring, 
kind of like that along the lines of JFK, but then they're so not boring. They are they're scintillating and exciting. Um, funnily enough, he he Nolan I found out recently screened JFK for the crew as a reference. Uh, really? Which was, yeah, which is quite interesting. And and JFK. And he, so and yeah, and well, he, that will and be he on our film club in November, that, listeners. Yes, which I'm very excited about. It's one of my favourite films. But he and I was very surprised to hear when he said when he said that he screened it that he hadn't seen it since it had come out. I think, which kind right. of made me think, what's wrong with you? It's it's. Uh, so yeah, and you can see the sort of parallels in in its. Of course, JFK um, plays around with uh, time. It plays around with different film format. It's a lot of black and white in JFK and color. With Oppenheimer, it's black and white and color. Black and white signifies the Downey Jr. sections, which are very much from Downey Jr.'s point of view. The color is very much from Oppenheimer's point of view. And that becomes very clear. That I don't think there's anything confusing about that. It's just, you just do have to listen and concentrate, as you say. I mean, the cast, you know, one of the, the surprising standouts for me that I didn't expect, because the role is very simple, is Jason Clark in the, I think it's 50, oh, I can't remember the year, 54, 52. Uh, yeah, this it's, is, it's this the, is the sort, of, sort of Atomic Energy Commission evaluating... Whether Oppenheimer's security be, clearance. It's, it's, it's security clearance. But Jason Clark dominates much of it in terms he, of he's, his he's a, he's, he is a, he's I think he's quite a big guy, but he almost... Yeah. He's a huge figure in the, the screen. He yes. sort of takes uh, up the yeah, screen. Yeah, he really does. And he is so convincing. He's so good. And he's a New Zealand actor. actor is he? often plays American, yeah. He's never disappointing he is always brilliant and it's not an easy role i don't think you know he's really really forceful well actually not just oppenheimer but the the others who attend the anyone who seeks question. to defend oppenheimer yes, yes. Um, although he the, he the only person he struggles yes i was about to say so the only person he struggles with is kitty uh oppenheimer's wife played by emily blunt and she i i think she's I don't think it's um, news that she she was an alcoholic, and early on in the mm. film, you see her with a, um, a, a glass yeah. in her hand, which is always an indicator in any kind of film. If someone's holding um, a, a glass, not only the glass, it's it's when their baby's crying, like yeah. screaming, and then she just she takes hold of a bottle, and I think it's a close up of the you know, you, you, it's, it, and it's obvious. But she she is she is excellent in it, and I have to say, she is utterly brilliant in those scenes with Jason Clark where yes. she kind of gets the better of him. She's, I mean, with just a look, you know, she's very still. She doesn't really move. I mean, she's sitting down at the head of the table and, and it's always interestingly shot with Oppenheimer behind her in the corner as he listens. And she's absolutely, she dominates those scenes. Um, yeah. I think she was really, really good. Overall, she's I, brilliant. But, but I think Killian Murphy in, in all hmm. these scenes where his, um, where his even his, when his enemies and his friends are giving evidence in this investigation, which is taking place in a very small room, he's sitting in a when he's not giving evidence, he's sitting in a sofa background. But even in those scenes, Killian Murphy, you, your kind of eye is drawn to him. It's his, it's the look. I mean, it, it, yeah, I don't know if it's a surprise, I think it's been mentioned a lot in critics' coverage and and just interviews with the cast, if you watch them on YouTube and stuff, there are a lot of scenes, lots of shots 
of Killian Murphy in close up, usually in silence. And he's it's it's just indicative of his this turmoil that's going on inside him. Guilt, regret, but just with a look. You know, he's got ridiculously piercing eyes. Bastard. He's uh, our age, I think, isn't he? I think he's 47. I think he, yes, he is. Yeah, he is. During lockdown, he presented a really good radio show on, I think it was Radio 6, where he picked all the sorts of music I love. So I think Killian Murphy and I would, would get on. Because he's been around for, for, I mean, I remember, you know, you know, the early days, 28 days later, and oh, who's this oh, guy? I mean, he great, was yeah. really The Wind That Shakes the Barley is, is I think. Wind That Shakes the Barley, obviously. Until watching brilliant. this film was my favourite mm. film of his. Yeah. And, and the thing, he's always way back been one of my favourite actors. I was so gutted that i didn't get to see a play he did in london a friend of mine it was a one-man show and a friend of mine saw him and said it was hands down the most incredible stage performance he's ever seen and apparently he's amazing on stage and so he has been around for a while but it's it's sort of sort of been craving that he lands a lead like this in a big film and it's you know it's i think it's overdue to be honest. Well, I think he's, uh, I'm probably going to be unpopular with many listeners because mm. I think he's been wasting his time doing Peaky Blinders. <gasps> that is slightly controversial because I'm quite a big fan of Peaky Blinders. I'm afraid he's the only good thing about it. I, I, I think it, it lost steam. I thought that it started really excellently. I did think that some of his supporting roles, role, uh, characters were good in Peaky Blinders. I find um, it very lightweight. Except for Tom Hardy, who t- to me it tends to overact a lot. Oh, I quite liked him in it, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just find the whole show a bit lightweight. Mm. Some of the accents, but Brummy accents turn into South African accents. <laughs> you got to be very careful. Uh, yeah, but but he is he is everything he's good. He's great in Sunshine. I, mm. I, it's the Wind that Shakes the Barley, which for historical listeners will be interested in because it's all about the Irish. Civil War, uh, made by Ken Loach, is just mm. and it won the award at Cannes. I think. I mean, this if if he doesn't get an Oscar nomination for this, I mean, let alone win. To be honest, I think he probably will. But I mean, it, I think there'll be an uproar uh, because it's you know he 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 controls the film. It's, Nolan said to the cast, the supporting cast, you know, I really need the, you guys to support Killian Murphy, which I thought was quite an interesting way of putting it because that's what they do really, in the film. He's in um, virtually every scene, and he m- yeah. it must have been exhausting for him, actually. Well, apparently it was. Emotionally draining. Yeah, they, they, I've, I've watched quite a few interviews before and after we saw the film, but it's become not common knowledge that I think Damon says, you know, we invited him to dinner every day with the car, and he n- always refused, or he just didn't come. Really? Because, yeah, I mean, his, his, his diet thing was, I think, quite an important aspect to keep himself looking as if he's slightly wasting away. But and he said, I just wouldn't have been very good company. And I mean, you know, it, the burden on his shoulders must have been immense. So I think socialising probably wasn't <laughs> prime agenda. Because Matt Damon, uh, play, who plays Leslie Groves, mm. this military figure who uh, he's, I think in, in, in real life and obviously in the film, but in, it's, it's more known in real life is that he was a sort of a conservative, whereas Oppenheimer was of the left. Um but the two made a great team. And even after the program had finished and the bombs had been dropped, Groves remained a staunch defender of Oppenheimer. 
d- uh, despite mm. their political differences. But Matt Damon is is excellent as usual. He, well, he brings some humour to the film. So, I mean, I guess up to now we've been describing the film and it, and it sounds like it's a bit of a sort of slog. That That's not the case. And Groves provides plenty of humour. Yeah, uh, in the film. as, as does Oppenheimer occasionally as well, actually. Yeah, and but so do the, so do others. I think so do other characters. You know, especially like when they're doing when they when they built the town in Los Alamos and they and pre the Trinity test. You know, there's a lot of banter and a lot of uh, digs at each other. And and I think that another one that we mentioned, I thought Benny Safdie was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, um, what's know, he been in? Well, he's he's one of the Safdie brother, the the other Safdie brother who who are directors. I mean, they 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 made two outstanding films. One called Good Times with Robert Patterson, which is like a heist, and and Benny Safdie's. Oh, in that's that. excellent. That's a really good one. And then their their true, I would say, masterpiece is Uncut Gems with. Adam Sandler, which they both directed. I thought that film was brilliant, but I found it so stressful watching it. I mean, it, that's the point. But that's that's why it's so brilliant is because it is a stress fest. And yeah. listeners who haven't seen Uncut Gems, stop listening and go and watch Uncut Gems because no, no, let's it, not get too hasty. But it's it's exhausting. It's yeah, exhausting watching that film. But, it's exhausting, uh, and and it's hands down it's Sandler's best performance for me. And those those two. So Benny Safdie is is a great director with his brother but he's he's a great actor in this and nolan said he called paul thomas anderson to ask about benny safdie who was in paul thomas anderson's film licorice pizza which is a very good film um to ask him you know whether you know well what's the deal is he is he good and uh, brilliant that he cast him because it's it's excellent he also said that benny safdie was was going to be a physicist he was either going to be a physicist or a filmmaker, and he chose film. I'm glad you mentioned the physics, because I'm mm. going to stop here. So listeners, up until now, we haven't discussed the science, and I'm going yeah. to hold my hand up and own up. Mm-hmm. And I hope my parents aren't listening, because this will upset them, <laughs> considering the amount of effort and money they put into my education is that I got a <laughs> U grade in my physics GCSE. Wow. Yeah, and unclassified. So I think I must have spelt my name wrong. But I, even I, was able to follow. I think some mm. of the physics in the film, in the how how to blow up a, an atomic bomb. I think I got how how you do it. I don't think. Well, the thing is, is that they you don't need to know, obviously. No, but they weren't talking. They, they, the good thing about Nolan's approach was that he didn't, you know, he didn't delve into the ins and outs of quantum mechanics in great detail. You no, know, but there are of, lots of scientists drawing on chalkboards. Like, like, like uh, has been mentioned, I think, in some of the interviews. So was in Goodwill Hunting. There's a lot of maths on the on the chalkboard, but even da- Damon didn't know what the hell it meant. <laughs> I did think of Good, yeah. uh, of Will Hunting, the character from Goodwill Hunting, whilst watching this film. Not only because obviously Matt Damon's in the film, but also Oppenheimer makes Oppenheimer's a bit like Will Hunting in that. He, he he was brilliant at languages. There was no subject he didn't know about. I think Leslie Griff yes. said, there's nothing this guy doesn't know apart from sport. And it, there's and a, a yeah. great scene at the beginning, though, because mm. he was a bit of a clumsy oaf, Oppenheimer, when he was younger. And, and it did remind me probably of my own attempts at, at science, where he sort yeah. of 
he knocks over a Bunsen burner or a, a, <laughs> a jar, a, of flour, a jar in his chemistry <laughs> class, which, which, yeah. which, and 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 then it, there's a lovely touch when when he's in German and a, and a, an American physicist takes a seat in the audience next to a German and and he says to the German he says don't worry I can translate for you if you need Dutch. Um, the, uh, Dutch, sorry, yes, Dutch, and then um, and then Oppenheimer starts his lecture in Dutch, which he is brilliant. quickly learnt Dutch. <laughs> yeah, like with six weeks or something. Yeah, he's a very likable character. I think he, you really sympathise with him, regardless of you know the moral choices that he had to make, because the way the film's presented is very much in the like Nolan says, you know, they they feel like they didn't have a choice, so you kind of side with, even though you you, you there are occasions where you like. Seriously, what are you doing? You can't do this. But the argument with the race against the Nazis comes out as a very valid in the film, I think. Yeah, but I think, you know, and, and I, I know that we, this is something that we should talk about is, because it's debated long and long and hard, and I don't know your view on it, uh, but about dropping the bombs on Japan. But the problem, I'm informed slightly, hmm. having read a few books recently about the American fighting in the Pacific before the bombs were dropped. And they were losing they were losing tens of mm. thousands of men on small islands heading towards Japan. So that, and so they were prepared that if they had to go make a, an invasion of Japan, they would lose another 100,000, I think was yeah. the estimation of how many US troops. We know now that the Allies won the war and we, we, knew, we know now that America knocked Japan out of the war. But before the bombs were dropped, the Americans didn't know that they would um, whether the invasion would be successful or not, or whether they would no, lose. Of course. So you have to put yourself in the feet of Harry Truman, who made the ultimate mm. decision. And yes, so, to me, I, I think it is justified. It's it, 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 yeah, you can argue it's justified. Whether whether when you're watching the film, because the the whole human loss on the American side really wasn't talked about too much it was more to do with okay can you do this can you drop these two bombs yeah because uh, the it's scene... a policy decision to be made by politicians not scientists scientists don't it, decide whether no to exactly use the bomb or not. and yeah. and in fact that's mentioned it is, uh, yeah. and the scene where where oppenheimer visits truman who is played by gary oldman really very convincingly truman comes off as as the antagonist in that scene because of the way again the way it's shot you see there's a lot of uh close-ups of murphy and you know the the, the disbelief the, and the way truman puts it i think he calls him a crybaby don't well, let that crybaby back into my office and you know you don't make the decision. he just says it's i think it's truman who says it, it, it you know scientists don't make the decision i think um, he says something like along the lines of uh, do you think anyone in hiroshima gives a shit yes who created the bomb. the bomb? And the thing is, is, is the way that's presented. You're, you kind of, you, you, you are required. You have to side with Oppenheimer. That's the way Nolan's doing it, I think. And the when he leaves, I mean, he's such a, he is a very humble character. When he leaves and walks out, he gives this kind of really innocent nod to, I, I'm assuming a secretary. He's probably sitting at a desk. You don't actually see them, but he just gives this kind of thank you nod, or which he does. You know, he shakes the hand of. 
of Benny Safdie's character after Benny Safdie's kind of dissed him in the in the yeah hearing. and his wife remonstrates his wife hates, against him yeah. for being so gentlemanly or humble. Yes, yeah, exactly. So he's 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 so so the 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 bomb. I, I, when you put it, you know, when you when we mentioned the the amount of American soldiers that you only have to watch Mel Gibson's Hacksaw Ridge to know that it was almost a complete disaster. Yes, you can sort of understand. I mean, it's pretty awful, you know. The 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 bombs. I don't know. It's a very grey area. But Japan was not intending to surrender. I mean, no. they, they were even going to mount a coup against the, yeah. their own emperor to continue mm. the war. Mm. So, so that there, there we're talking about. Well, in this situation, an atomic bomb is justified, which is you know a very slippery slope. I'm not saying that I agree one way or the other. I'm just you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's in, that's what's interesting. That's what the and it makes this is the the what's interesting about the film uh, and the whole discussion about this sort of thing. Oh, it does uh, it very well, I think. Very much. Um, we do need to talk about. Well, I'm not. We we no spoilers. Like for example, this could be construed as a spoiler, which I so I won't mention. But all I will say is the Trinity sequence, the test sequence is nail biting i th- for me it was anyway I, I i completely agree even even though we know now everything works yes well exactly it was so yes. exciting it doesn't matter it really doesn't matter so so you know listeners spoiler it worked <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it that does not diminish the impact of no. the, the the visuals the, the that is an extraordinary example of sound and versus silence. Yes. Um, uh, the the use he did, you know, scientifically completely accurate in the t- in the sense of the speed of sound. That's all I'm going to say is that it's it's so good. The I'm speed such of sound versus the speed of light. Scientifically, you know? I thought, oh wow, do nuclear bombs not make a noise? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why you know it's, it's. That's why I got um, my U grade in in physics. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Sp- speed of sound is slightly slower than speed of light. Yes. Uh, just just so you know <laughs> and it's 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 so good and it's all it's it's like a showstopper sequence that you know it's the car chase of the film yeah you know i think we should also mention downey jr was yeah he absolutely does absolutely brilliant a fake smile at one point in the film mm-hmm. which is just brilliant to do a fake smile when you're an when you're an actor playing someone who is acting to, to be happy i guess uh, yes, it it's, it's absolutely excellent. And it was really unexpected, actually. I know the, the bit you mean. The thing that we should mention, I think, is that he, as you said, he became his nemesis. Starts off as being very amicable and, and you know, they're, they're, uh, everything seems to be fine. But then once you start to know, once you realise what's happened, there's a great appearance by Rami Malek where he essentially just takes the biggest dig at Downey Jr., and Danny Jr.'s silent reaction is ex- excellent as well. But then po- the, after that scene, you kind of want to go, oh, just get a grip <laughs> to, to Robert Danny Jr. He sort of beca- starts to behave like a spoilt child, which I just thought his his performance was excellent. I, I'm, I'm betting he will be nominated for Supporting Actor. I, uh, I think Florence Pugh and Emily Blunt... Um, were both brilliant as well. So I think they'll. Do you think that? I mean, I think they should both get nominated. I think Emily Blunt will will be nominated. Uh, I, I, there, there is a there is a point of. Con- I think Florence Pugh's performance is very good. 
I'm still not entirely convinced that the the scenes of a sexual nature. I'm not saying that that they weren't done tastefully and 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 you know inside the psyche of Oppenheimer himself. Still, still, perhaps I you could argue that I'm not entirely sure that it was all necessary. I think it's a worth worthwhile argument. There's one bit that just stuck out a little bit to me because you know it's very very obvious. It's shot in such an obvious way that the color sequences are Oppenheimer's point of view. The black and white sequences are Downey Jr.'s point of view. There's one sequence in the hearing where there's like a vision. A vision comes to Emily Blunt, which to me slightly detached from Oppenheimer's subjective POV. And it kind of, and it jarred just a bit. It went, oh, so now we're just for this little bit, we're in Emily Blunt's mind, are we? It was along the lines that I stuck out for me because it reminded me of a sequence in Taxi Driver, which is the most subjective film you can possibly imagine. The entire film is from Robert De Niro's point of view. Nothing happens without him, really. And there's one scene in that where we're suddenly in a room with Harvey Keitel and Jodie Foster, where he's slowly dancing with her. And, and, you're, and, and, it, and that was kind of like a famous scene that everyone went, oh, we're suddenly not in Robert De Niro's head. Now, it's petty, maybe, little argument, but it just, that's the one thing that kind of stuck out at me when, I, when we were watching it. Florence Pugh's excellent. I mean, she's, you know, very, very good. It's, it's a, not an easy, and it's quite a, a dark character. Happy Bunny, really, is she? I'm not familiar with much of her stuff, I, I suppose. Am I? I don't think I am. Uh, with Florence Pugh as well. Mm. Oh, uh, Midsummer. I've seen Midsummer. Midsummer, Midsummer yeah. Um, Lady Macbeth is what she became famous for, or, or at least, sorry, started her career, which is uh, a quite a good film. Um, right. But Florence Pugh was was also in the in the, the Olivia Wilde film with with Harry Styles and uh, oh, right. Chris Pine. I like Chris uh, Pine. She's um, she's very good. Okay, we spent about forty minutes gassing, so our listeners probably itching to know our usual category. Oh, yes. The awards. Best performer, the, the Simon Baker Award. <laughs> yeah. So if, if listeners are wondering who the hell is Simon Baker, I need to go back and listen to Margin Call uh, Film Club. The Simon Baker Award for Best Performance. It's Killian. Well, I mean, it's a bit. It, I think we'd be arrested if we said any, <laughs> anything other than, than Killian Murphy. But he's so good. I mean, he's, yeah, it's, it's, it's. I mean, he almost, he doesn't look like him, but he does in the film. But, but the, he also you know, doesn't. aging and, and youth, youth, uh, what's the yeah. what's the youth version of aging? Um, they're, 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 so Killian Murphy's got these gorgeous cheekbones and, and mm. these piercing blue eyes, as you say. But it's the way his, I don't know if it's the way it's shot or the black and white helps, but it does help it's sort of, because Oppenheimer's got a rather pointy face. And maybe it's the angle that Nolan shot, shot it at, and it almost... He almost merges into uh, Oppenheimer on, on in some scenes, or maybe my head playing tricks. Well, he's—I think he—he he also studied. I mean, his—it's his posture and his the stance. The accent was very good as well. Yeah. The accent was excellent, and he the was from stance. A, with... Oppenheimer's from a sort of quite a wealthy uh, Upper East Side uh, Jewish. Family. But it's sort of like an, a, a relatively old-fashioned American accent. It's not that kind of modern, yeah. well-spoken American that that was very prominent in those days early days you can also here in those in the old 40s films 
but he and his and his stance you know with the with the hands on the hips which was very him costume was was just everyone's outfits were thick woolen suits excellent and the design the the, the trousers yeah uh, where they hang off Mm. the 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 trousers and the the tailoring was was excellent right definitely killian murphy let's just uh, reiterate there absolutely um most unlikely scene now that the only thing I was going to say was there's a bit, and this might be considered a spoiler, so but I'll be very quick, listeners, so you can sort of um, mute. But I thought the scene with the president, there was a line that the president gave that wasn't given in the film. Uh, I was a bit disappointed by. Um, so when Oppenheimer said to Truman, I feel as though I have blood on my hands, and when he leaves the office uh the last thing you hear is truman saying to his, to his um uh his colleague get that crybaby out of my office the other mm. thing that truman said which is quite i think quite well known now he says what are the hell what what the hell does he think i have on my hands because truman mm. made the decision and if and and if anyone was going to have blood on their hands it was truman um, well, I mean, Truman would have said that bef- probably after Oppenheimer left. Yes, you're right. You're right. And of course, we don't see Truman without Oppenheimer. Yeah. Um, because that would take the 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 subjectivity away. So, uh, a but an unlikely scene in terms of that didn't happen. You know, like an Argo. Yeah, yeah, there's no... That we talked about. There's no... It is the hmm. Argo Award for most unlikely... Actually, it, well, exactly. Uh, so, when they lie so, about the yeah. embassies that were um, yeah. approached. Whereas, whereas uh, can it can something qualify that didn't happen? Yeah. That should have happened as an unlikely scene? Or the, a scene that's in the film that you go, that you say... Mm. It's about, it's both, actually, because um, right. I, um, uh, I put this category in because so many historical films have got a scene in it where you go, oh, this just didn't happen. Yeah, but also, yeah. but as you say, also, uh, there are some scenes where you go, oh, that doesn't make any kind of sense. Mm. Um, but I, I'm struggling to think of anything else. Yeah, and also, you know, we've only seen it once. Yes. Uh, yes. Definitely need to see. This is one of the things that I was saying before, I think we started. It's, I want to see it very soon again. It's something that I think, it's because it's so rich um but this is a nolan film that i think is the one i've enjoyed most having seen it only once if that makes sense that's a very good point um for me it's my favorite film of his i think still has to be memento because i just think it's 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 brilliant so I know a few people, that, friends of mine, who've gone to see Oppenheimer and they come out and go, yeah, you know what? I think this is his best film. That That is an argument to say I that. think I, I would agree with them. But I, I think it may, for me, it may be his second best film. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. I still think Memento is is absolutely amazing. To watch that again. I think I've only seen it two or three times. It, but it requires... Do you think that Nolan's films require more than one viewing for sure? I think all of them do. Uh, but Oppenheimer, really? I would say... If I never saw it again, I'd be disappointed. Mm. But I enjoyed it so much that mm. I'm happy that, I, that, that it would be only once. Whereas 
uh, Dunkirk. When after mm. I'd first seen it, I th- I was a bit in- unsure about it. I didn't. I, w- mm. I wouldn't have raved about no. it like I've raved. No. Also, the one thing that I should add to listeners is please don't wait to see Oppenheimer on a television. You you really do need to go see it in a big agree, on a yeah. not necessarily the biggest screen imaginable, but you you need to see it in a in a place where the effects of the sound design really I mean it, they slice through your body and there's an, a remarkable end final image and a final line actually it's ex- extraordinary very yeah. powerful and perfectly relatable I mean you you kind of think you know you're you're spot on Mr Oppenheimer won't give anything away no spoilers but um, so what, so what do we, what do we think? Scene. I mean, I really don't know. You're gonna have to. You're gonna best have to scene. pull one out well, of the bag. I think. I think best scene. Maybe. Um, I think it might have been halfway through, and I think it might have been the bomb test. And I don't want to go into too much detail. Thanks. I agree because the thing is, is that it's the sort of film where you could go there. There, one scene stuck out. Apart from the Trinity test, there's one scene that stuck out that was perhaps two, but there, there, he does this thing. I won't get this really isn't giving anything away, but Nolan does this thing where there is someone talking in a very quiet room and it's nothing more than a very simple shot, very simply shot conversation. And he sticks on a sort of hallucinatory build of rumbling sounds, shaking walls as if a bomb has just gone off in the middle of a conversation that no one's aware of and they just carry on talking. And it is so effective. And and I don't think it's been done before on screen like this that I would argue there's a scene in it that that I thought, and it's the Jason it's Jason Clark becoming more and more insistent and forceful, pointing at Oppenheimer, you know, berating him. And he does this effect. And I thought it was brilliant. That would probably be, I would say, a very close second to the Trinity test. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, uh, Legacy. Uh, now, at the beginning of this conversation, mm. you said that this is the film that may maybe has saved cinema. So I think <laughs> it's, Legacy rating is going to be high. Yeah. Now, we're, only, we're not even a week into its release. so. But I think uh, it's already let's... made its money back. Uh, it has. I've, no, it needs 400 million. Apparently to be it, profitable. I thought it profitable. cost a hundred million to make. Uh, yeah, but that was the production budget. They also had a hundred million marketing, I believe. I I think those are the figures. But it it's it's on track to 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 be very profitable. I would say absolutely. There's no doubt. What was what is interesting is that it would be nice to see what happens when the hype has died down and whether it will whether. You know, there are a hell of a lot of people going to the cinema simply because they've heard that this is a great film. Because, you know, it's not the sort of film that would attract everyone. Uh, you know, a, a physicist, a biopic of a physicist who, okay, created the atomic bomb. But but I think so far, the legacy is pretty impressive. Yeah, it's pretty probably high. too soon to judge. Um and, and and before we we finish on Oppenheimer and recommend listeners go and see it, are there any are there any other standout performances you wanted to mention? I, I just did think Casey Affleck's was so chilling. Yeah, it's it's a great. Saw an interview with Robert Downey Jr. who said that he thinks it's the the best. It's the it's the most impressive cameo in the last decade. Scene, 
It, I mean, it, it, it is, it's so understated. And then you slowly realise what Casey Affleck's doing. And he is excellent in that. I mean, he really is great. Very, very low-key, but gets under your skin. It's just brilliant. It's really good. And Oppenheimer kind of, is, you can see that there's like this trepidation. They're just sitting yeah. in a room, I think, I seem to remember. Like opposite he's, the each other. He, he's the head of the program, um, but he this sort of nervousness. This is the incident that kind of uh, was, uh, if there were a smoking gun, and there wasn't because there's no evidence that Oppenheimer was ever a communist. He mixed with communists, but he himself wasn't. But if there were ever a smoking gun, this is the incident um, where he is kind of caught out. Um, I don't want to say too much because it probably is. It, yeah, you don't want to no. delve too deeply. But, okay, well, um, well, well, that's that's fantastic. That's been Oppenheimer, a wonderful film. Highly recommend it. And that's our film club of the of the month. Next up, next month in August is Gallipoli. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great. Please go see Oppenheimer, everyone. Let's see what the reaction is. I'm sure that the the that your listeners will will be impressed. Let me yeah. put it that way. Yeah, you know where you can get hold of us. It's history at aspectsofhistory.com. Look forward to all your comments. Thanks so much for listening. This Saturday, I'm speaking with Michael Smith on the special relationship between US and UK spy agencies, both the good and the bad, and plenty more great history to come. Please share with friends, but until then, thank you and good night. Good night.